Welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa. I hope you have been having a good week and that you're staying safe. And I have a great episode for you this week. My guest uh, for this week's episode is a talented attorney, writer, podcast guest, and as you'll soon learn by listening to this podcast, he's also a good friend. And I'm so happy to finally have him on this show. he has a lot of great things to say, not just about legal writing, but also about persuasion. I think that's something that no matter what type of writing you, uh, you do or you want to do, it's great to know how to be able to persuade people for your, through your writing. Uh, what not to do is also very important. So I really hope you get a lot out of my interview with Sean. One thing I do want to mention is that I apologize for the audio quality. I noticed that when I'm speaking, a lot of the time there's like this reverb and I tried to try to get it out with audacity, but as I'm finding more and more, uh, the longer I do this podcast, that B minus that I got in audio production back in college is biting me in the ass. So I tried, and I think overall what Sean says comes through very clearly. So with no further ado, here's my interview with Sean. Enjoy. My guest today is Sean McAllister. Sean was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, and attended law school at LSU, where he met some amazing, lifelong friends. Sean began his career as a personal injury and civil rights lawyer, representing police brutality and sexual harassment victims around the Lafayette area for years. He moved back to New Orleans in 2018 to be closer to his family and now works as an insurance defense and divorce lawyer for the Loeb Law Firm in Mandeville, Louisiana. Sean, welcome to the podcast, and um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the type of writing that you're doing now. And Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This is such a great opportunity, and I've been excited all week, to be honest. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> certain settlements, plea deals, no matter what kind of attorney you're going to be. 
your opposition, you know, a lot of the times you're going to have to come to agreements, come to settlements, come to plea deals. You know, you're going to have to persuade them in a way. And then if it goes a distance or if it's just in motion practice, you got the judge and the jury, and you're going to have to persuade them to your side. You know, we're called advocates. You have to advocate for your client, advocate for your side. So a lot of the times it's just all persuasion. And it all starts with writing. I mean, everything you're going to have to do, especially when it comes to trial, motion practice with the judge, you're going to have to submit a brief. You're going to have to submit a memorandum. And it's all persuasive writing. Okay, that's really good. Now, going back into persuasive writing, I really like the idea of focusing on this topic. When did you first learn how to write persuasively? I imagine it was before law school. So when exactly did you, like, how did you become interested in that? Was there, like, a particular class, a particular teacher? How did that come about? Yeah, in high school, I had a bunch of high school English, you, they make you write papers on all kinds of different topics, and persuasive writing, or the persuasive paper that they were always my favorite, because I've always liked the idea of, of taking a side and sticking to it, kind of like a, like a debate club or a debate class or something, in a way that's more verbal, but I got interested in it in high school, where you take a side, sometimes the teacher gives you the side, and it might not be the side that you wanted to advocate for. And so I always kind of like that as a challenge, because, you know, usually I come in, my mind's made up, and the teacher says, well, now you got to do the opposite. And you can't just say, well, no, I don't agree. Uh, you know, you have to actually take that side. you got to actually fight for it. And so that always kind of, like, pushed me in the direction of law and the legal side of it and being an attorney. You know, I've always liked the idea of advocating for people, representing people, and whatnot. And so, you know, my roots really started back then where I saw that it was more of a challenge and I got a lot of enjoyment out of it, out of kind of like the art of persuasion. You know, really, I kind of looked at it more like it was an art because there's so many subtleties, there's so many nuances, there's so many different degrees and levels of persuasion that you can do. So it started a long time ago law school and it continues to this day yeah that's uh what's the what's the process like for you now like when you're doing a piece of legal writing um whether it's for court or some other aspect of the case like what's the normal procedure like for you is it something that you know originally going into it how it's going to look or do you have to do a lot of revisions or like wh what's that process like for you so the process usually starts by looking at both the strengths and the weaknesses so you're gonna have to look at the strengths obviously because that's that's your money maker right there that's the point that you're trying to get across that's what you want the other person to agree with but you're also gonna have to look at the weaknesses too and counteract that able to answer for any opposition that you get with that so the process always starts by looking at those two things sometimes you have better strengths than you do weaknesses sometimes you have better weaknesses than you do strengths so i always kind of like break that down at the beginning highlight what my best strengths are kind of make a focus of that and also kind of highlight where the weaknesses is too and then be able to kind of make my writing go in that direction based off of those. It's all a variable. You know, every single issue, 
whether it be a motion to dismiss a case where uh, I'm fighting against my opposing side who is trying to get my case dismissed or I'm trying to get the case settled for my side. So I got to pick out the strengths and weaknesses and explain why it just settled for a high number or a low number. It all kind of just starts there to be able to respond to any kind of point that anybody else can make and really just highlight the strengths of your own side. So that's really where it starts is I just kind of break all that down from the beginning. I kind of like going, I'm more of a writer that goes big to little. I like putting more of my ideas on paper. I'm a visual learner, visual writer too. Yeah, me too. So I like, yeah, and that's always been, it's just people are different like that. Some people are visual, some people are more listeners. You know, I like putting my stuff down on paper and narrowing it down and getting to like the core of what I really want to get across in my writing. And sometimes, you know, I don't like to just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I like to kind of get... I usually stick to the rule of threes when it comes to my writing, especially with persuasion. They kind of say you do that, or stick to three main points. That usually gets the point across. It doesn't overwhelm the reader or anything like that. And you know, some people they go from from little to big. I just go the opposite. I like putting all my cards in the table and being able to identify, you know, which cards I'm going to play. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I don't. I guess I'm going to ask, did you ever have an assignment, whether it doesn't necessarily have to be one, um, one for work, but did you ever have an assignment where maybe you were assigned a side and you were like, no, there's no way I can possibly do this. Like I, I, there's no way I could defend this position ever. Like I understand how that's a good exercise, but did you ever get something that was like maybe so opposed to what you believe in that you're like no i can't do this yeah there's been a couple of those like that and that's been a challenge you know at one point in my legal career uh, i did debt collecting work for a firm and that that was a tough one because you know I, there was i obviously had a client that i had to advocate for but it was a tough thing to argue for and fight for because my opposition usually wasn't represented by counsel. So, you know, beyond just like the, I guess, the imbalance of, of legal expertise in that field, it was also like the subject matter, which I had struggles with to do it, but I still had to do it. But I kind of recognized early on, like, look, this, this isn't for me. It's, it's for other people. I'm not knocking that field at all. But there were certain like, like cases where I just didn't feel comfortable, even if I knew the law was on my side, even if I knew that like what I was doing was legally correct and what I was supposed to do, I was making my clients happy. I just struggled with being able to put the points forward because a lot with that particularly, you know, you got to go into specifics. Everything, every legal case, you know, you're gonna have to go into the facts of the case. You're gonna have to go into specifics, and a lot of that was kind of a little too personal for me. So you know. I was able to do that and do it successfully, but I only lasted about six months in that field, really just because I just really had struggles with it. You know, I just was diametrically opposed to just getting at people like that in that field. And I'm like, it's certain fields just aren't for lawyers. Some people can be criminal defense attorneys. Some people can be prosecutors. Some people can do debt collecting. Some people can do debt advocacy. 
I was like, I'm not going to do any of that. It's just not for me. I just had too, too strong of beliefs in that aspect. So, and you know, but as a lawyer, you're bound by ethics. You still got to do your job. You have to advocate for your client. So I absolutely went in there and did exactly what I had to do and wrote the briefs as strong as I could get it. But to your question, yeah, that's, that's something that I struggle with. But I guess from a personal standpoint, it's like I recognized early on that it's just something that I wasn't going to really enjoy and something that I was kind of opposed to doing. So I was like, let me just let me just get out of here and go to a little bit more of a, uh, a neutral field. You know, in my career, I've always done things that I was in favor of. I loved advocating for, like the police brutality cases, sexual harassment cases, where I represented the victims, you know. And it's like, I, I don't think I would feel comfortable representing the other side, you know. And so it's just like, I, I found myself in that position with that debt collecting job. So it's like, let me just tap out, you know. It was great people, great firm, everything like that. But, yeah, to get to your point, it was it was a struggle. I mean, I think more to the core of it, like, I was still able to write everything. But, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge just because... It was just it was just a struggle internally. I haven't really faced that in any since or in any of my other other fields that I've been in. But yeah, that was that was a tough one. Yeah, I think it sounds like you handled it the right way. Like I do realize that you have the ethical code and you have to, you know, you're kind of bound to do it. But I was just wondering, like, basically how you know you go about that if you feel so strongly about it. So I think I think you totally went about it the right way. Um. Now, do you feel that the legal writing in law school prepared you well for the kind of writing that you do uh, regularly now? Was there anything that maybe you're doing now that you didn't learn in law school that maybe you wish they went over a little more? I'm not trying to say anything because I know it's a great school, great teachers. <laughs> so I'm not saying anything, but is there just any... It's like when I... Cause for full disclosure, anybody listening to this, Sean and I were in the same class at LSU. I did not finish, so I'm very proud that Sean finished. But, um, like, I did not realize going to, you know, doing really well on logic games on the LSAT that I would end up not doing so great in law school. So it's kind of that kind of thing. Was there ever anything that you felt maybe you could have been... Or do you, you feel that the writing classes at LSU gave you a good background for the type of thing you do now? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And, uh, I mean, I think that law school did an excellent job with writing. To answer that part of the question, I really think they prepared, pre prepared us very well for that. You know, they, they taught us a lot of good principles, a lot of good techniques that I still use to this day. You know, I'm sure you probably remember the, the IRAC thing and writing, which is I R A C Individual Application Conclusion. Yeah. But I still, I still, I, I, I've had nightmares about that. But I still, I still model some of my briefs after that. You know, that's kind of like the foundation I use sometimes. So they did a really good job with writing. You know, and I mean, I have no problem being completely blunt with like the law school experience and whatnot. What they didn't really teach us was how to actually practice in law school or actually practice in your career, how to go to court, how to argue and stuff like that. You know, you and I, were, we did a moot court competition. We did. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. I did too. And that was a good experience. Yeah, that was fun. That was a really good experience. And that's the kind of stuff that, like, being under the hot seat with the judge, having to answer questions on the fly like that, you know, but that was an elective experience right there. Uh, trial advocacy, 
groups and stuff like that. That's a, that's elective. I know between two L and three L year, the second and third year, which third year is the final year. You uh, they made you do like a two day crash course and trial advocacy. But that was like I needed like a year long crash course and trial advocacy because you know when I got out my out of law school, passed the bar, got into my career. I was in court basically the, the week after I got licensed. You know, I was fortunate enough to get a job that threw me right to the wolves and trial by fire, you know, and, but I didn't have any experience. I had to get the experience on the fly. And I feel like if law school would have done a better job of training us to uh, be before, be in court, going over the rules a little bit, the procedures, teaching us techniques and stuff like that. I mean, they, they did the Socratic method stuff with the teachers would call on you and so that gave you a little bit of experience of being under the lights and in the hot seat with a bunch of people in the room and whatnot but that that i feel like they could have done a little bit of a better job with and i feel like that's probably uniform across across most law schools but as far as the writing i think they did a really good job i think the writing classes were really dependent on your professors too and just so having that lsu had really good professors just in general but yeah really good writing professors you know who really dedicated their time you know gave you hands-on real cases told you to break it down graded you fairly sat with you explained stuff to you so they did a really good job with that and so i give a lot of credit to them for preparing me uh in my career to do that because they gave me the foundation that i wish i had in trial experience like i was just uh just mentioned so they actually did ended up doing a really good job with that i'm still grateful for uh for that because they like i said it was trial by fire i never had the court experience but at least had the writing experience so and a lot of the times what i didn't know is that which is important and relevant to our discussion is that a lot of the time from what i can tell the judges they read your briefs and sometimes their mind is made up before you even go in the courtroom so you know you can win or lose your argument or your case before you even step foot in the courtroom if you have a really good brief if you have a really good well-written memorandum that explains everything and persuades them and convinces them that they should grant your motion you know so they they did a really good job lsu the professors you know getting me ready for all that yeah yeah it was a it was definitely a good experience i did learn a lot of really valuable things when i was there so yeah uh now how like the type of writing you do now, do you ever find that you're also using things you maybe studied in college, like, say, psychology, philosophy, or does it have to be more, like, strictly legal? Do you find you can bring in fields that, like, I, I've always thought, like, philosophy and psychology played a pretty prominent role in persuasion. So I was wondering, is there, like, a lot of tolerance for that in the type of legal writing you do, or do they pretty much just like you to stick to the facts? Oh, no, absolutely. You nailed it right there. Uh, a lot of psychology, I mean, my background in undergrad was in psychology. It's what I got my bachelor's in. And so that prepared me for law school, too, and for really more for my career, because there is a lot of psychology in the writing. Because, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is human. Everybody is at least governed in some degree by emotion. It could be emotionally swayed and persuasion, the legal writing that can speak to the judges or the jury's emotion and that can kind of go to it. And so having a psychology background and understanding the emotional uh, beats and different things that you can do 
the little nuances that you can say because it's a lot of there's a lot of subtlety in the writing that that speaks to the psycho the human psychology you know and relating it to uh, the judge or the jury you know a lot of the times the judge or the jury what can affect them or influence them they might not even realize is if you write in such a way that you almost tell a story about your clients or the plaintiff or whatever and you put them in their shoes and so they're reading it and saying well hey that could happen to me you know that could be me right there and that is kind of a psychological nuance is that uh being able to tell that story and get to it to where it's like hey this could be you how would you feel if this happened to you or how would this feel if you were on the other side and this was the other person was accusing you of this you know yeah and so there's definitely some psychology behind it and philosophy too a lot of abstract thinking and whatnot it's not i mean you know legal writing and the judges and juries you know they're supposed to decide by the law which requires a lot of logic and reasoning that's unmistakable i'd say that's probably 90 percent of the decision making comes from logic and reasoning but i'd say probably 10 percent comes from uh, emotional thinking and other miscellaneous items related to that you know that, that goes outside of logic and reasoning it goes to opinions and feelings on the matter and it's inescapable the psychological attachment to that so yeah i try not to you don't want to overdo it with uh with like pouring it on with like the the psychology or the philosophy subtleties and whatnot um i have i have a couple of stories about that where people try to appeal too much to the their emotions you know there was this one guy who this they were representing a hispanic client and it was a very straightforward case you know i won't go into too much details it's public record but the one of the briefs that the attorney wrote was basically the first two pages were talking about how trump hates hispanics and how you should totally agree with this guy because of that and whatnot it had nothing to do with the case had nothing to do with the argument and I was like, oh, this guy's pouring it on a little too much as far as, like, trying to get to the psychology of the judge and the abstract and, you know, bringing out all these these accusations, almost making the judge feel bad if you don't side with them. And, like, judges don't want to be told what to do as far as that goes or be told that they're a bad person if they don't agree with them. And so I read that, and I was like, oh, that might be pouring it on a little thick. You know, you don't, you don't have to go to certain topics like that to get your point across but you know you don't always have to be on the news there's, there's a lot of subtleties that go along with it if there's going to be any kind of psychological or philosophical arguments that can be made i think it's much better made subtle subtly than uh just on the news like that yeah i think you brought up a, a good point like i try not to get too political in this podcast but you know every once in a while it does come in because of the times we're living in and actually i've been following the supreme court a little closer than usual this year because there have been a lot of surprises as far as rulings in the cases and you know i i've been pleasantly surprised by some of them now how do you um do you still feel that you know, even though you've been doing this for a few years now, um, do you still take a lot of interest in maybe reading some of these cases? I don't know how soon after they're decided that they're put online or whatnot, but like, say, um, like John Roberts took a, a side that kind of surprised some people on a few issues this year. Like, do you, do you find it helpful to like, 
you know, even though you've been doing this for some time, to go back and, like, read some of these decisions or say maybe Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the majority decision, um, like, do you feel that that helps you in what you're doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, lo I love reading decisions like that just because it's just their expertise and their ability to get to the issue that they're trying to decide and explain their point and explain why they ruled in such a way is just so masterful, especially some of the, some of the judges. Some of them just, it's like I haven't seen an opinion from them in, in 20 years, you know, and you probably know who I'm talking about. But the ones who are really good at writing are like just masters of their craft. And it's like, whether I agree with their ruling or not, you know, I've definitely found myself agreeing with more rulings and not lately i've been just as pleasantly surprised as you have been but like even if i don't agree with it just reading their opinions it's and like almost like seeing why they ruled in that way even if i feel very sharply on the other side and even if i would dissent if i was a judge on the panel or i would disagree you know being able to read how they explain it it almost in a way like persuades you to their side you know, for a second, it almost in a way like you can't you disagree with them, but you respect their decision because they explained it in such a way. They cited the law, they applied it to the case, and they came to the conclusion that they did. You know, whether I agree with it personally or just from a legal perspective or not, like it, it's almost irrelevant when I read it, just because it's just so well done. So yeah, I definitely find myself going to uh, going to certain opinions, and it's even better when I agree with them. Cause I'm like, man, they they said it a million times better than I could. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, I think it's good to follow what the Supreme Court like. I hear that a lot of people in this country can't name one of the nine justices, so it's good to hear people who do actively keep up with that type of thing. What are? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Supreme Court. I mean, just as a last note, it's just they're just so important. And then, like you say, people can't name one justice, but like they don't understand just how influential the. Supreme Court is on our country and the future and their decisions just pave the way for so many different things. So yeah, I, I, uh, I encourage everybody to, to educate themselves and read as much as they can on it because it, it really is fascinating. Yeah, definitely. What are some other um, resources that you um, like regularly consult that you feel 
help you with your writing and maybe keep help you. I don't know how often things change in the legal writing field as much as they do maybe in other fields, but I imagine that there are ways that, you know, you kind of need to learn about, like, any new style changes or whatnot. Yeah, I, uh, I always kind of subscribe to the saying, iron sharpens iron, so I like going to other attorneys, especially attorneys who have more experience, especially ones in my firm who have been doing uh, this particular sector of law more than me, or like my bosses, or even other attorneys, even my opponents and stuff, just reading their briefs. And so, you know, you, well, Westlaw and LexisNexis are like the two go-to legal resources for finding case law and stuff like that. But you can also find like trial briefs, trial memorandums and stuff. So like for the really big cases, or big cases in, in my field, uh, insurance defense and stuff like that, I like kind of looking at those and seeing like the winning brief and the winning memo and kind of seeing like the different techniques that they use and adopting some of them. You know, I've adopted a couple of different different ones that I never used to incorporate that I thought was uh, was very effective. And I started seeing like a pattern of those, you know, um, like uh, rhetorical questions. I see people people put in you know, winning briefs a lot, which are which are pretty effective and stuff. I mean, and you can kind of compare them to older briefs or, or older um, decisions by the courts and whatnot, and it's pretty consistent. Like, there isn't a lot of, like, stylistic changes. I'd say what I've noticed more, and that can kind of come hand in hand with just how busy these judges are, is that the briefs are becoming shorter, from what I can tell, and I noticed that in court when we're arguing and stuff, is that... Uh, some of the attorneys who are just kind of stuck in their ways or whatever, they spend 30 minutes arguing and the judge looks like they're about to fall asleep because they're just going in circles. And the ones who I see win more, keep it short and keep it to the point and just get to the get to the, the meat and just go right at it. And uh, I see that a lot in writing too and a lot of the briefs that I look at and from my colleagues and whatnot. It's just like usually you see an introduction or in the old way you see an introduction and then you don't even get to like the point until the sometimes and a lot of times I'm seeing is that people they put their conclusion at the very beginning this is what this is how why they should be ruled this way and this is why as you'll see why you should rule it that way these are the reasons you know and then they go into it and it's shorter and it's to the point it's a lot more active voice than passive voice it's a lot more um keeping the authorities the citations to the case law at the very beginning short and then go into the facts of the case, you apply it in your conclusion, the IRAC, the issue of the rule, the application conclusion, you know, and it's short and it's to the point because like, I feel like, and that kind of goes back to the psychology that we were talking about, you know, I don't know many judges that want to read 30 page briefs from every single person that submits them to them, that's, that's a lot, you know, they don't want to have to read 29 pages to kind of figure out what the heck you're even saying to get to the conclusion, you know, keep it short, keep it simple has to be an A, B, C kind of three-point move or three-point uh, body and explanation where you're trying to explain why, you know, the conclusion makes sense to you, you know, and just keep it short like that. And so I feel like I have more success when I write short briefs, short but detailed, you know, short and captures everything I'm trying to say, you know, don't leave anything on the table. 
But at the same time, don't drone on and on and on. You know, nobody wants to. I mean, I, I don't. When I get in that position, and it's like 110 pages. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'll read it. But you know, like. <laughs> That sounds good. Um, I, I, I like the idea that you consult other writers. That's almost like what I was doing at my writing group. I think sometimes it's good to have a group of people that you respect and you can just kind of bounce ideas off of each other and, you know, give feedback and maybe, maybe pick some things up that you never thought of before. So that's great. Um, so, so I, I guess... What I'd like to know is if there's uh, if there are any students listening to this now, maybe they're English majors, um, like, and they might be thinking of going to law school and becoming uh, either a legal writer or an attorney or doing both. Um, what are some good tips that you would you would give them? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've thought about this too, and it's like I always think about it in the sense that. If I can go back in time and talk to myself seven years ago when I was still in law school, what would I tell them? Like, what tips would I give them? Especially when it comes to writing, there's one, there's a saying that I heard that I thought was really good, was you got to treat the trier of facts, which is the judge or the jury, as intelligent, but ignorant of the facts. And I don't mean ignorant in a negative way. I mean, they just don't know what you're trying to argue about. I mean, they're sitting down and they don't know you from anybody else, and they certainly don't know the case as well as you do. So you have to understand that they're an incredibly intelligent person that's going to be reading this, but they don't know what you're talking about. So one of my tips would be to make sure that you don't get lost in the shuffle of your own knowledge of the subject, as in don't presume that the person who's going to read what you're writing knows as much as you do. Don't leave out any facts. You know, don't don't skimp on the argument or the reasoning or the evidence or anything like that. Like I said, it kind of goes hand in hand with my previous point where you don't want to be too long, but you can absolutely make it concise, explain your facts in a, in a couple paragraphs and be done with it. But you got to make sure you hit every point. Keep your sentences kind of short. Don't run on and have these long dragging sentences because you're trying to fit all the evidence in there. You know, it's a very uh, nuanced way to write these things, but you want to be able to paint the picture for the for your reader. You want to be able to kind of have them pick up the paper and not know anything going into it. And then when they put the paper down, they know as much as you do, you know, and, and, and as much ability as they can. But be able to kind of like, you don't want them to 
put the paper down and be like, well, I still don't know what this case is about. I still, I understand that he wants me to grant this motion or she wants me to do this, but I don't know why I should because I don't know all the details, you know? And so that's one of my, that's one of the tips that I, I would absolutely recommend. I mean, especially for like law students when you got your exams are all writing, the bar is all writing and stuff, you know, you want to make sure you cover all the bases and get all your details with that. And just, I guess, not just be presumptuous or assume that the other person, like, knows as much as you do, that they can just fill in the blanks on their own, because they can't. I mean, if, I, if you're trying to convince me to do something, if you're trying to convince me to buy a car, you know, you got to be able to put all the specs, everything I need to know on paper for me so I can look at it and know what I'm getting myself into. You know, don't assume that I know how this works or how interest rates work or whatever. You know, you need to just be able to cover, you need to be able to cover everything in a short and concise way. So that's kind of one of my, uh, one of my tips. And it's like, keep it short and sweet. Like I said, when you keep it short and sweet, in my opinion, this kind of goes back to the psychological aspects of it too. Having it be short kind of spells confidence, you know, and when it's long and dragged out and it's a run on, to me that almost spells desperate, desperation, that you're just throwing all this stuff at the wall and you're hoping it sticks. And you're like, well, I hope one of these points will make sense. But the reader is going to look at that and say, well, I mean, do you even believe in your side? You're throwing everything. You're trying to overwhelm me with stuff, but you're not backing it up with everything. You know, as opposed to somebody that keeps it short, keeps their points, like, nice and strong with a strong foundation, but have it be short in the active voice and seven or eight sentences in a paragraph instead of ten paragraphs with 20, 20 uh, sentences in each of them, you know? So that, that kind of goes to the root of the psychological aspect of it. It's just, you'd rather be confident than desperate. I think that applies to most aspects of life, but you'd be surprised how much each of those can come across in your writing. You know, as far as, far as persuasive writing especially, how you can come across looking desperate and taking risks that you shouldn't take, or you can come across looking confident and being able to get your point across in two pages that somebody who wrote ten pages couldn't. So that's another one of my good tips. I guess the last one, based off of this question, one of my favorite ones, I kind of already touched on it, but like summarize your points at the very beginning. You know, I like to put not my conclusion, but like all the points that I'm going to hit in the very beginning. That way, if somebody doesn't have time to read my paper, but they got to make a decision on it, they can read the first paragraph or the first page and know everything I'm going to say. You know, and then when I go to court and I argue it, they already know foundation that I laid from and then my words are going to build it you know you don't want to have a long paper where you just say hi I'm Sean McAllister this is my paper and then you go into the body and they, they don't know what you're arguing about they don't know what point you're trying to make and then you gotta go all the way to the conclusion and say oh this is what you want and this is why you think it should happen you know just summarize it try to find a way you can even be subtle in the way that you kind of say it at the very beginning you know as to why they should side with you for one reason or the other. That's kind of a, one of my favorite tips in legal writing. It's just get it out of the way early. And, you know, whether it be a judge or like my client, I do insurance defense work. So uh, I represent the people who get sued in car accidents and 18 wheeler accidents. And so I have, uh, I deal with insurance companies and adjusters and stuff. And so my adjusters are going to want to read a 25 page paper and I don't get to the how much I think this case is worth or whether we should go to trial until the very end. 
just say it at the beginning and then build your foundation, build off of your foundation through the body. And in the end, it's just they know exactly what you said because you already said it at the beginning and you built it up in the middle. So I do that a lot, and I've kind of taken those tips. That's all just stuff that I've learned uh, over the year in my practice, over the years in my practice, and um, in law school, and just in other facets of life. So you know, for any future legal writers or just writers in general, those are, those are all tips that I abide by, and I'm, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I think those are good tips. Um, the one you said about getting your facts out at the beginning, I think that's important. And I think that kind of demonstrates that even though all these types of writing are very different from each other, they're still related in a lot of ways. What that reminded me of um, is uh, newspapers back in the day. I don't know if this is still the case since it's mostly online now, but back in the day, uh, newspaper stories used to have to be flexible in case they needed to cut anything out to fit it on the page. So they told newspaper writers, get all the important stuff out at the beginning. And then the rest of the story is stuff that if they need to make room for, say, ads or whatnot, they can cut that stuff out. So make sure you get the important stuff out in the beginning. And what you just said reminded me a lot of that. And it just kind of shows how there's this universal element to a lot of writing, no matter how different these forms of writing are. They do kind of follow the same uh, same psychology there. Right, it's like the head, like you just said, it was like the headline, you know? Yeah. A lot of people are going to read the headlines, they might not even read the, the body of the, of the paper, they're just going to read the headlines, and that's that's their conclusion, that's fact to them right there, and that's the, that's the exact, that's a perfect comparison you just made right there, because that's exactly what I'm saying, you know, because my my papers, if I'm writing a paper, the judge, you know, is going to have the motion, but it's not, the headline isn't the motion, the headline's going to be exactly what you had just mentioned, the facts at the very beginning, the at the very beginning where they can read that and they're like okay I know what this paper is about now I can't tell it's just from this is a motion to dismiss why should I dismiss it for these reasons and then here's why you know that's the headline right there and that's where they know in their head this is what I'm looking for is he right is he wrong we'll see but this is what he's looking for I don't have to kind of you know, dig around in his hand for it so yeah that's, that's a really good it's a very good comparison oh thanks <laughs> um so uh what what do you, uh, what are your hopes for the future as far as um, maybe continuing legal writing? Um, do you have any areas that maybe you haven't tried yet that you'd like to? Like, what, what do you think the future holds? The future for me, I mean, as far as my profession and legal writing, uh, I kind of like, I like the challenge of it. I like going in front of the biggest court possible with the highest stakes possible. You know, I was able to have uh, my very first argument and briefs submitted to the Court of Appeal in my area, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal for the state of oh, Louisiana. Cool. And that was like a huge accomplishment for me just to be able to get to that point and get the opportunity to write for a panel, which this was three judges. It's different, you know, when you go up to the appellate court level and as you know with like the United States Supreme Court level with the justices there. But it's so cool and I just found that so fascinating to be able to have to write and argue in front of three different people who have three different opinions and then you go to the appellate court and you're getting questions fired off from everybody, you know, but a lot of it is based off of your brief and your writing, you know, you, you are setting the tone for how the hearing is going to go based off of everything you write because everything I write is exactly what I'm going to argue. 
know, as all the points I'm going to make, I'm just arguing and elaborating on the stuff that I wrote. So as far as goals, is like kind of moving up. If I can get the opportunity to go before the Louisiana Supreme Court, I would love for that to, to that opportunity to be able to go in front of the Louisiana Supreme Court and write for them and argue for them and win. You know, and then that's so you state federal court level. You know, that's the state court is the where I argue, and that's the Louisiana Supreme Court. But then the federal level, which is like the United States Supreme Court, I mean, that's my ultimate goal. That's like my bucket list for uh, for writing. I don't know if I'll ever get there because you don't just you don't just walk over there and sign up and argue. You kind of get a case that just happens to to get challenged. They gotta accept it and all this kind of stuff. But like that's that's more of a as a dream than a goal. But it's definitely a goal that like if the opportunity presented itself, I would not hesitate at all to take it and just to challenge myself and to get better and better. Because a lot of uh, legal writing, I mean, the facts are the facts. A lot of being a lawyer is you're dealt a hand and you got to play the cards to the best that you can. And so my goal is to just get better and better at it and to have challenges where uh, it doesn't look like we have a whole lot of opportunities to get out here. Let me try to figure out a way that I can put my client in a better position or in the best position possible. And so a lot of that's going to be getting better at writing, getting better at arguing and presenting my case and try cases and be able to present myself to the judge uh, through my briefs and memorandums and just keep getting better and better. Because a lot of what my job is centered around is writing, you know, whether, like I said at the beginning, whether it be writing to my client and explaining the situation, you know, you got to explain the good and the bad and be candid or go to your opposition really just explain the good because you're an advocate and then go before the trier of fact, the judge and the jury. And I just want to keep getting better and better. I mean, I'm only five years into my career. It's been an incredibly long five years, it felt like, but you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of time left in my career to continue to hone my skills and get better and better at it. And if I could just like be, set a reputation for myself in these courts to where they see the stuff that I write and they know that it's going to be good. You know, because that, that to me would say that I've done a great job at what I've been assigned to do. And I really get a lot of uh, a lot of, of good out of fighting for my clients and having them appreciate the work that I do. You know, I've always said, like, oh, I kind of have, like, a hero complex, and that's why I've, I went into uh, being a lawyer and that I like being an advocate for somebody and fighting for them and being their hero. And nobody likes to get sued nobody likes to even sue nobody likes to be in that position and get hurt so it's like they need they need a good lawyer or somebody like me to come in and be their advocate and almost be their hero you know and so that's kind of why i've always wanted to be a lawyer and what i really get a lot of enjoyment out of but in order to do that you know i need to be the best writer i can be you know i need to be able to outgun my opponent at every every turn so that's really one of my my dream is to go before like the Supreme Courts and just fight it out at the biggest stage possible. Uh, but my, my goal is just in support of that dream is just to keep, keep getting better and better, you know, keep getting better and better and maybe mentor some people as they come up. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, like meeting uh, like young attorneys or law clerks or something. Cause it's like, I was just in your shoes not that long ago. So I can kind of like give you some tips, but also to like be on y'all's level. Like, I'm not above y'all or anything. I never treat anybody like I'm above them or they're beneath me. So, you know, That's no matter good. the experience level or what. So it's 
like if I can kind of like be an ally to them, so they go look at me 20 years from now and be like, oh man, I'm really glad uh, he was there to help me out and show me the ropes. You know, that's always something that I've kind of dreamt about as far as like you know being uh, being just a good colleague or a good mentor for somebody. So that's definitely a goal too. Yeah. Well, I, I really, I think you really went over a lot of good points, and um, as far as your goals, I definitely hope you'll get there. I think you will get there someday, and you're a great podcast guest. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. You're a great host. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, thanks for... Once again, I want to thank my guest, Sean McAllister, for a great talk and for sharing so much information with uh, me and with all of you. I really hope you got a lot out of it. And uh, please, please let me know what you think. Uh, email me at marissadellefarfalle at gmail.com. Uh, please follow me on Twitter if you don't already. Uh, it's at marissad13. I'm also on Instagram, marissadf13. And I would also really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It will really mean a lot to me, and it'll help a lot more people find out about the show. So until next time, thank you for all of your support, for all of your feedback. It really means a lot to me, and it's hopefully making this show better, making it more enjoyable for you to listen to and that you're getting a lot out of it. Until next time, please stay safe and wear your masks and just be well. Peace. This podcast has been brought to you by Anchor which is the easiest way to make a podcast. Go to anchor.fm for more info.